Scan and go. I'm Ginny Doctor, and this is the final episode of our season on suicide prevention. You are original is the title of this episode. These are the words that our guest Mira Martin says to the young people she works with. You are original and unique, and your life is precious. This is a powerful message. Now guest host Peter Downey takes us south of Mother Earth to New Zealand or Aotearoa for a visit with our Maori sister. Thanks, Ginny. As this is the final episode of our season looking at suicide, the other pandemic, it naturally leads to, well, a little reflection on all that we've heard. From Nunavut to Arizona to British Columbia to Manitoba and to Six Nations in Ontario, it's crystal clear that the history of colonialism and the deliberate attempted genocide of indigenous people on this continent have inflicted similar and very deep wounds, which are felt by succeeding generations. Now, to begin this episode, I'd like you to just close your eyes. Imagine it's 1769, over two and a half centuries ago. A 40-year-old British naval officer, after mapping much of the St. Lawrence River on the east coast of Canada, is now sailing around New Zealand's two major islands in a ship called Endeavour. His name is James Cook, and he writes of the intelligence of the Maori people, who initially welcomed the visitors to their home. But Europeans, seeking profit from the sea and from the land, brought with them muskets, disease, Western agricultural methods, and missionaries preaching civilization to save the savages. Sound familiar? Sadly, with virtually the same consequences as on Turtle Island. To this day, that trauma affects young Maori men and women. Protect your body, trust and learn. Protect your mind, help love. Let your tūpuna guide you, let your courage pride you, let nothing hide you, because you are original. That's the voice of Mira Martin. She works as a youth enabler with the Maori Anglican Church on the North Island of New Zealand. She was reading from a poster she's using to help prevent suicide by building self-esteem, especially where it's missing, among young Maori men and women. The rates of suicide among the indigenous Maori population of New Zealand are distressingly familiar to what we know about the elevated rates in North America, also within indigenous communities. What's striking is that, like many of the indigenous leaders we've spoken to this season, Mira has a passion to reassure those who might feel disconnected from history, who can't quite find their balance in the modern world, that in fact they do have worth, that they do belong, and that they are connected to a proud people with a rich and honorable past. So I'm before I became the youth enabler within our Anglican Māori Church, um, I was a social worker. So 
I was working with children in care that's been exposed to domestic violence and then drug abuse and sexual abuse, but alongside of that, the suicide. So I was able to bring that type of work into the, the work that I'm currently doing now within the Anglican Māori Church. And it's and for us, all of us are just so we always get the stats, and the stats always say Māori is the highest user um, of suicide. And it's kind of like, well, why do we always need to consider the, the stats when we're actually doing nothing to actually bring it down? So again, our beautiful Prime Minister has said, hey, it's actually not working. We need to actually change the strat plan for suicide. Let's start looking at the prevention. Let's start actually start giving the hard words and start talking about it instead of putting our heads under the carpet. So she really made that um, turn around and now there's so much conversation that people actually haven't got time to hide today. And it's been really quite good because I'm quite a straightforward person. I don't believe in going around the mulberry bush. I, you know, let's just hit it on the head straight away so that we can actually look for a solution straight away. I know that there are a lot of contributing factors, but if you had to say this is the, this is the route that we have got to pull out, what would that be? Colonisation needs to be ahead to. We need to actually say, this is what's happened to us. And if we take responsibility of that, and that's like taking our land, trying to put clothes on us that we're not used to, different ways that we're supposed to be acting, you know, as a white person. So, and they actually got to say, yes, sorry, we actually done that. And this is what we're going to do to counter it. We don't want a whole lot of stuff. We just want them to actually say, sorry, we've actually done that. And I know it's not the people of today, but they're the ones that's also putting it under the carpet as well. So it's like, let's be honest and say, this is what's actually happened so that we could all move forward. And what do you think the practical impact is of just hearing we're sorry? It's actually like, we, we've always, you know, we say sorry, but what are we actually saying sorry for? And then we want to sorry with the actions with it. So we, we could all say sorry and we actually don't mean it. But when we say sorry and we actually say, hey, you know, you can be entrusted to work within your own people. You know your people. You know what their actual needs are. So here you go. You work with your people. We'll give you the resources to work with your people. That's the action that will actually be more workable for us as an Indigenous race. And I know it's not going to happen overnight, but, you know, if there's little small steps so that we don't keep this going for hundreds of years. I read someone who said that, you know, what we don't need is more awareness. (sighs) We're aware of this. What we need is action. And so, like, when you say we need resources, can you you talk a bit about that? What do you need to, to really make a difference? Well... For here, we have our government, and they do a brilliant job, and yet they've they've screwed up. They've screwed our people up. But there is a place for them, because we do have a mentality of being naughty, and we can be naughty towards our children. So we have to be held account to that. It's kind of like, give us equal rights, monetary, buildings, 
you know, give us exactly what you've had to do the work to make a better uh, position for our people. When you say that you have a, a reputation for being naughty with, with, with your children, what, what do you mean by that? Uh, we do hit our children. We have a tendency of abusing our young people or our elderly. Um, that doesn't just belong to Māori, that belongs to all people. So I think for any agencies, there is a place for them because there's some people that just don't know how to pack some of their mental well-being because some of them do have mental issues. Some of them have drug and alcohol addiction. I mean, some of them are actually living with a lot of trauma and not actually having putting their hand up to say, hey, I've actually got a problem. We've heard here that that one of the problems with that, I mean, it sounds very familiar, this idea that people are living with a trauma, but that one of the very real issues is they can't name it. They don't know where that trauma is coming from or how to, is that, no. does that sound familiar to you? Yeah, most definitely. I mean, sometimes for us as Indigenous people, we, we're quite resilient or we're quite laid back people and we trust too quickly we, we we've always trusted other people until they do something to us and then it's kind of like right it's payback time so i think that stems to that that we have a tendency of trusting and then we kind of push it to the back of our mind until something reminds us or triggers going actually i can remember or it feels you know it seems familiar and then it, I think just over time, it's just like when a bird constantly picks a, at a piece of bread, you, you just come to a head and it just blows out of proportion. Which can, which can lead to suicide, I guess, or, or a very most dark place. Yeah, most definitely. So how do you deal with that? So I think for us, it's about us actually getting to know each other again. You know, back in the days, I, I had a girlfriend who I went to primary school with, um, and she always attempted and then when it actually happened for her in her 40s, five of us actually went to her funeral and we all said, oh, okay, so it was about now. It's happened. So we constantly checked on her all the time, but we just didn't know when, when that was going to happen. And, you know, that's from primary school. And I think we were five at that time. That's when she started. But none of us ever find out the root of why she actually wanted to be suicidal we kept asking her the questions and she couldn't answer it so for me it's always about let's start talking about it let's actually find out who we are who our neighbors are so i think we forgot our neighbors i think we forgot about our friends we always ask each other how are we when we're sick but we're too scared to say how are we when we're actually not mentally well so we need to start saying how are we at anything even if we got it wrong it's better that you have a sense of caring of your neighbor do you think that's part of the problem is that people feel uncared for you know we can only speculate that they probably feel unwelcomed or unwanted and i mean it could be that they just don't see light you know if we have some form of depression we can actually see some light. So we kind of know, okay, we need to get here. But sometimes it's been blocked off for the ones that's in that moment. So it's kind of like, well, how do we actually slowly take that wall away? So just the hints of that light just shines through. And, you know, I've always said hope. 
you know, we've got to always instill hope, even when they're unwell. Because when you're unwell, you actually don't want to know what anyone's saying. Well, you don't give a damn. I've always pinned things on hope. I just want to give our people hope or belief that there is something there, that you are worth something. I was going to ask you that uh, it's with all the good intentions in the world, the person you're speaking to has to be able to receive what you're trying to say. And boy, that's a big, that's a big thing in all of this, isn't it? My nickname's Elephant. So (laughs) elephants, and it's not because of my size, it's because of my memory. I see a lot of my um, old clients, even today. So there was one boy that I had, well-rounded. He was actually one of my leaders in, in my health work. And I got a phone call from his mum that he attempted. And I got actually quite angry. I got really angry because I just couldn't fathom why. Why did this kid who was well-rounded in sports and he was academic, he was a very fine looking boy. He had everything going for him. So when I went to the hospital, I actually really ripped into him and I said, what's the issue? And he goes, my girlfriend left me. And I went, what the heck? She's probably, you know, down there having a good old time, getting different boys and you're up there just crying. Why did I do this? And then about, um, and I got told off by the doctors and everything, but I just walked out and I just went, oh my goodness. Anyway, a month later, the mother rang up and she goes, uh, he's changing girlfriends like his underwear. And I went, great. He's listened to my growlings. He's a lawyer today and looking after the unwell people of, you know, so Yeah, so that one really sticks in my mind. And that would have been about 25 years ago that that incident had occurred. So, yeah, I'm not well liked in some of the services because I am straightforward like that. But if I do things and I get told off, I know I've done well for our people. To me, that takes a real bravery to say something like that, because it's it's having normal expectations for someone. You would say that to someone not in trouble without yeah. even thinking about it. But to, to have the courage to say that, and maybe I'm wrong, but I mean, risking that that might make the matter worse. Yep. Um, is that a difficult balance for you to? No, to... no not at all. I, I always start with people, you may, want, you may not like what I say, but I need to give you, I need to be transparent and I need to be honest with you. And when we say things honestly, they're things that's going to hurt, but I know we're looking for a solution for today, not tomorrow. And I, I tend to have probably more respect from those particular clients or family and I get a better solution being more open and I've only been kicked out twice so that's not bad for 30 year service (laughs) (laughs) and I I have been um, attacked a few times but I've kind of think oh well I've hit a nerve but they always ring me back and they actually still apologize today for trying to attack me with a baseball bat or something but if I know I've, I've spoken the truth, I know I'll be, I've got a barrier. I've got my armour, you know, and that is something that, that kind of keeps me going in this type of work is that I do have faith in God that I know I have his protection and armour around me. It's interesting that 
the phrase hit a nerve because one thing that has become really clear to me this season is that suicide itself hits a real nerve in society, doesn't it? I mean, it's obviously yeah, sure the loss of a life, but my God, the the uh, the ripples from yeah. that suicide are pretty powerful. Yes, yeah. I, I'm. I think I'm just here for a purpose to, and it's not to make their lives miserable. I'm only a tool. I'm only a tool to help them get to a place where it's normal for them. Not normal for me, not normal for you, but for them, you know? We, we all think they have to fit in this small little box. So I always say that we're a square peg that's having to go in a round hole. And, and we all have different shapes and we don't fit through that round hole. If you can tell me what normal is, well, then I'll have to eat my hat because no one knows what normal is. I'm only a tool to help our people to have great wellness within themselves. I mentioned to you that uh, I had read an analysis that suggested, unlike the Indigenous experience here in North America, that New Zealand had never had a policy of wiping out Maori people and culture and instead had always uh, recognized a degree of sovereignty. Does that seem like a, a fair reading of history to you? Um, there's still a long way to go. <laughs> <laughs> a very long way to go for us to get to that place. I I have my own personal view and I might go against my own colleagues or, or you know, but I think for us as Māori, we're actually more fortunate than all the other Indigenous race. We can say this is home for us. Even though we still have to fight for our land, we can still say this is ours. We can put a pole, pole up and say, Naku, you know, Naku, this is mine. I can honestly say this is my whenua, my land. But it's just around people recognising that there is history. So even now for our government, God bless them, is that now they've introduced the Māori land wars into our education system. So we're currently writing that to be put into our curriculum. So that's from, I'm, I'm gathering and I'm hoping from primary right through to college. So there's still a long way to go. I don't think we're as trusting as we used to be when they, when James Cook painted to our country. <laughs> we want more than a blanket and a musket. <laughs> but you're saying a general understanding of, uh, outside, I mean, in the country itself, that, that, introducing this into curriculum, having people learn this history from a non-colonial point of view yeah. um, is, is a tool. I mean, it, it can be a weapon against that kind of despair and that kind of yeah. not feeling like you belong, right? Which just must yeah. be, God, that's a dark, uh, that's a dark place to be, uh, feeling like you don't belong. Yeah. Well, see, I'm, my mum was Māori and my father was English and Scottish. So I'm also in, in a position where, and I'm proud to be who I am. I can't choose who I am. My parents chose who I am, but I can't choose my, my bloodline. And I'm quite proud to say I'm Māori. And I'm also proud to say, yeah, I'm Scottish and English, but it depends on what world I want to live in. I don't, quite fit in the white world but I definitely fit within my Māori world but I can still fit 
in the English world to allow myself to continue with my head up high and say, no, you can't tell me I'm either Māori or English, or because I'm brown, you're instantly Māori. Don't tell me who I am. <laughs> you know, so, but we have to catch people out. We have to actually tell people, no, we're not that. Do you think you're an exception? Uh, we're probably 50-50. I think there are some that's very similar to what what my thinking is. And then there's some that are really pro-Māori. And then you also have some that say, well, I'm Pākehā or I'm white. I, I just allow people to have their own opinion. It's just kind of like, well, don't go against other people's choices of where they want to put themselves into. I read something that your Prime Minister said that I thought was was pretty interesting. I guess there had been a debate about setting a suicide uh, reduction target. And she said, no, I don't want a target because that implies a tolerance for... Do you... I, I thought that was a pretty insightful approach to it. I, I'm, I'm totally with her. We shouldn't look at a target. I mean, if we want to look for a target, let's eliminate it. But we know that's, unre that's unrealistic. So... For us, I always say, if I can save one life today, I've kind of done my job. We don't talk about stats any longer. I think people were getting too involved in numbers instead of actually doing the groundwork. And they were just saying, well, there's been uh, 6,000 deaths uh, within suicide in the last three years. We want to try and get down to 5,000. And we all go... Yeah, okay, we saved a thousand, but why can't we save a thousand and one, you know? So for us, we just went, numbers doesn't mean anything to us anymore. We're sick of the talk. We're over the talking. We just want to do it. We just want to get some action and actually change our mindset around, let's get all our people in a mindset of being well. So well mind, well body. Let's look for some goals. Everyone's got to have some aspirations and some goals in their lives, even if it's small, but it's something. And it just gives them that slight little hope to have that little shine of light shine through the little tunnel. Just something. Just as you were saying, it, it has to be, you know, it can be something small. It doesn't have to be. And no. I was remembering somebody telling us about the situation up in the Arctic here in Canada. Yes. Uh, and his goal was just to get them through the night. And it could be as simple as seeing his dog again in the morning. Yeah. And like over COVID, like our first four weeks, we actually coped in a way that we actually formed, we formed a bond with our families, that connection. We, we actually found out what the connection really means to us. So for I think for a lot of us, probably 99% of it, of us actually loved the lockdown that we had because it gave us a time that we could actually rebuild that connection back to our people, back to our family, our parents and whoever. But when it came to the second one, we, we actually noticed there was a few antsy young people, like young people. So I actually put it out there and I just said, hey, at whatever time that you just need to have a talk, I might not respond because you might be ringing me up at two o'clock or three o'clock in the morning, but just know I'm there. So just ring me. I'm quite happy to, to take your call. And I, I had received quite a few. I did have one that said, I'm going to do it. 
and I did break my bubble to go and save her. But she just wanted to know, and she probably wanted to test, would I honestly go that far to save her? Yeah, I got into trouble with the police, but it was well worth it. You know what I mean? So all they want to know is someone actually does care and love them. You know, and it's just that hope. I believe in hope. I think for now, we're, we're in that new phase of making some changes that can only better us as people. I mean, the government's change in the strategy plan, our way of working. We also teach our ministers how to service our bereaved families or our survivors, we call them. We've just got to constantly talk and say it's okay we can talk about this. And it's not taboo. It's not taboo to talk about the suicide or people feeling a little bit wonky, you know? It's actually okay to have a little bit of stress. It's okay to feel a bit depressed. I think we all have the same issues. I think we have the same problem. It's about how do we actually deal with it? So what might work here, and I said, you know, because we are a smaller country, so we're able to combat it as a whole country. I think New Zealand will probably fit in Toronto, in the corner of Toronto. So, you know, so we can do it because we're really compacted and quite close in, in distance, where you guys might need to work in pockets that will suit the environment that you've you've got within the Turtle Islands. Eh? So you just got to keep changing things to suit your own environment until you find the key. I don't think we've fully got our key right. But we've just constantly got to keep tuning up till we get the right combination. And it's really interesting that there are some universal issues for Indigenous people around, whether it's Canada's Arctic or yep. where you are, everywhere in the world. I've actually made some bullet, um, some advertisement um, posters. So they keep saying, so it's called You Are Original. You are Māori, brave and unique. You're gifted from your tūpuna gifted through your whakapapa, ancestors of mana. Whānau strength, you are original. Issues of society plaguing our whānau, our people does, does it have to be you? Does it have to be your future? Trust in yourself, everyone has a purpose. Trust in yourself and believe. See the potential, your worth, your faith in yourself. Dream big, think better, because you are original. That's Mira Martin in Hamilton, New Zealand. That's where she works as a youth enabler with the Maori Anglican Church. So what have we learned this season? I think we know that suicide is an intensely individual decision and act, but that its impact is wide and disturbingly powerful especially in remote and isolated Indigenous communities where it can touch virtually everyone. I think we also know that how we all treat each other, not just when we're on our best behavior, but how we are with each other every day. For example, recognizing that someone may be in trouble. Well, that's on all of us. Choosing kindness over ridicule compassion and empathy over ego and competition, and active caring over lazy indifference. That's on all of us, too. Mira referred more than once to her faith in the power of hope, 
And that got me reflecting on some of the incredible people we've met this season. As dark and as difficult as some of the stories have been, I think everyone, in their own way, also showed us that they too believe in hope. Making sure that we have intervention opportunities at every stage of their life to support them, that's, that is my dream. Uh, and it's not just the courage to live, it's the courage to do something else. Maybe just, you know, a discussion group in your parish hall. It could be noticing a neighbor's child who seems to be very withdrawn. Grandmas and grandpas, our aunties, our uncles, our cousins, everyone lives nearby. We're very much a, a big family here. You could see it, even at their performances, it was that same magic. That same feeling of, hey, I'm doing something. I'm doing something that I can be proud of, that other people can be proud of. And just that goes a long, long way. In all that we have endured for the last 500 years, we are still here. There are more of us now than there were 500 years ago. We are the survivors. Mm -hmm. You know, that that's the reality of it. You know that there was over 100 million of our people that, that perished. We're bruised and we're limping and we're broken, but we're here. Hopelessness is really hard to be if you're a person who is grounded in some of our traditional practices, like getting up with the sunrise and greeting the morning and being grateful for another day. If we can keep somebody who's in suicidal crisis alive overnight or for a weekend and get them to whatever help they need, which may not be professional help, but often is, you can save. That's how you actually save a life. What does caring really mean? And that's being concerned for them no matter what. I realized during that period of time, no, this person just needed to have someone listen. We are the ancestors of the survivors, you know, and to us, that's in our bloodline. And I keep saying that our bloodline has memory. Bobby Kennedy once said that a common mistake is to think of the future as a promise, when in fact, he said, it's an achievement that we all have to work for. In that sense, the voices you've just heard, and of course, so many more, are those of construction workers building tomorrow. We'll leave this season by hearing the voices of tomorrow. These are young people singing in their Maori language the Lord's Prayer on the shores of Lake Rotorua on New Zealand's North Island. For producer Lisa Barry and production manager Ben Davis, I'm Peter Downey. Be well, and thanks for listening. and Peter for this powerful and wisdom-filled podcast. My first visit to Aotearoa was in 1991. 
I traveled with Archbishop Brown to Hawke's Bay on the east coast of the North Island. We visited Teote School for Boys and the Hukuriri School for Girls. I have vivid memories of the boys greeting me with the haka, a ceremonial Maori dance. Archbishop Brown told me they were going to try and scare me away and to not be afraid. Little did he know that it's not easy to scare a Mohawk woman. I remember most the faces of the boys. I could see pride, the pride that comes from carrying on a great tradition handed down by the ancestors. The girls at Hukuriri sang several songs in Maori, including the Lord's Prayer you heard in this podcast. Again, I could feel their pride. And in both the girls and boys, I could feel the love, the love of being Maori, and the love they showed to me as a visitor. The Maori have done great work to keep their culture flowing. They recognized the loss of a language, and they set up language nests for young children to learn the language. It's very similar to immersion programs that are in several of our communities. Our language is part of our uniqueness. It is precious. I've heard that even if we can utter one word in our language, the ancestor hear us and smile. So, there are many things we can do to prevent suicide, but restoration of our losses is difficult work. But it's not hopeless. Look into the faces of our young people. What do you see? When I looked into the faces of the Maori boys and girls, I saw goodness in knowing who they are. I can still hear the haka of the boys and the beautiful voices of the girls. My mom always told us, you can be whatever you want, you can go wherever you want, but never forget who you are and where you come from. We can make our ancestors smile. I want to thank our production team, Lisa Berry, Ben Davis, and Peter Downey for all your good work to make this season possible. Nyawe, ona.